Okay. So we actually have a very special birthday today. Um, anyone here today want to raise their hand? Is it anyone's birthday today? Don't be shy. Take a chance. I brought you a cake. Okay. All right. Well, we'll have to go, we'll have to go the other route then. And can anybody tell me whose birthday it is today? They turned 94 years old if they had still been with us. You might have school off tomorrow because of this. Okay, all right. So, so whoever was the first to say it and whoever likes mint chocolate cake, there is a cake waiting for you here. All right, and since it's very hard to kind of put into words the, the, the tremendous impact that Martin Luther King Jr. has actually had on our country and, and on our world, uh, it just seemed fitting to just take a moment of silence, to just honor who he was and what he lived. And one of the first things that comes to mind whenever most people think of Martin Luther King Jr. is his famous, I have a dream speech. The speech was given from the steps of the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C. on August 28, 1963. And during his speech, Dr. King expressed remorse that a hundred years after Abraham Lincoln had signed the Emancipation Proclamation, the freedom that law was supposed to bring still had not been realized. So he stated that the reason that he and more than 250,000 others were marching on Washington that day was a march for jobs and freedom. And I would encourage everyone to listen to that speech and really all his speeches or anything you can get his hands on that he, he wrote or said uh, because he truly is a great man to learn from. And for today, however, I'll just have to boil it down to the fact that Dr. King saw how a government had the power to either promote or prohibit opportunities for its citizens to thrive. Opportunities for freedom. The march that day was what he called in his speech the greatest demonstration for freedom in the history of our nation. And interestingly enough, if you were here last week, Vivek kicked off our semester series last week and shared how the fight for freedom wasn't at all unique to the history of our nation. He talked about how the Romans had been looking to the gospel of Caesar and a political type leader as their Messiah. And ironically, how many Jews had been looking for and anticipating the exact opposite, a military-type Messiah who would free them from the reign of Caesar and the Romans. And he also talked about Jesus' identity as the Messiah and more specifically how he was a very unexpected Messiah. 
He was neither the political nor military leader either thought they were waiting for. And just for a little bit of context, the, the word Messiah literally means anointed one, the special person or savior or liberator who will deliver people from whatever oppression or slavery or injustice they are facing. In other words, a Messiah is the one who will set people free. So I just want us all to keep these two ideas in mind, the idea of freedom and the expectation of a Messiah as we dive into our passages for today and explore this question. Are we believing Jesus was serious about why he came and did what he did? First, let's pray for eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts that are opening to listening. Lord, you gave us a great reason to gather here today. And Lord, with all the things that are on our minds and our hearts and all of the things that are filling the thoughts, if we could just take a moment to just rest, if we could take a moment to just settle into this place and to know that you are here with us and that you brought us here together through your great love. Amen. And so I want to give a, a little bit of a reiteration of encouragement for all of us to actually read the book of Mark for ourselves. That's the series that we're going to be going through if, if you weren't with us last week. And Vivek gave some great options for ways that you can participate as well in, in what we'll be going through this, this semester. And since there's 16 chapters, he, you could read a chapter a week for, for 16 weeks. Or you could read the entire letter straight through each week, every week for 16 weeks. Or you could read a verse from Mark each week and just focus on that. And if it will help, do this with someone else. Find someone else who you can do this work together with. And so speaking of the text, let's uh, dive right into what we have for today. So Mark 2, 1 to 5 says, and when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home, and many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them, and they came, bringing to him a paralytic man carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him, and when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, is it safe to say that this was quite a bit unexpected? Right? By, by this point in Mark's letter, we've seen Jesus heal at pretty much a viral pace. So much so that at the end of Mark 1, it tells us that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. And think about this. His fame had spread so much that four guys were willing to carry their paralytic friend for who knows how long and literally take apart another family's roof just to get him to Jesus. And Jesus sees their faith and says, Son, your sins are forgiven. 
They talked about the feverish pace, right, at which Mark writes. And, and here's where that pace can lead us to keep reading and miss that this is actually a mic drop, mind-blowing, game-changing moment. Your sins are forgiven, right? Boom. We can be quite sure that the healing the paralytic's friends brought him for, the healing they expected and hoped for, was physical healing. And I have to imagine the man himself was hoping for the very same thing. And what this does for us is it gives us a great opportunity to take a step back and to consider our own expectations for who we expect Jesus to be and what we expect him to do for us. In our heart of hearts, what are we hoping Jesus will save us or deliver us from? Are we hoping Jesus will bring us friends or a spouse to save us from our loneliness? Are we expecting Jesus to help us be successful, maybe by helping us get good grades or, or helping us get a good job? Are we hoping for some sort of healing of our own physical ailments or for healing of our mental health? The reason this was such a spectacular bombshell moment for the people who were there with Jesus back then is the same reason it is still spectacular for us today. It taught the people then, and it reminds us now that God forgives us. And that that forgiveness is more important than anything we might think we need or expect. Why? Quite simply, because God is worthy. As our loving creator, our gracious redeemer, and the almighty name above names, his rightful place in our hearts, minds, and souls is first. And we could spend a lifetime teaching and learning about sin, but to sum it up in just a few words for our purposes today, sin is anything and everything God didn't intend for his creation. And what sin does is it causes separation. It creates a gap between what God made us to experience and what we actually experience. So now for some of you, as soon as I mention sin, there might be a whole host of things that come to mind or come flooding in. Others might be questioning, what do I need to be forgiven for? What did I do to God that I need his forgiveness for? No matter where you're at, if you ask me what sin I think might be in your life, I'll tell you right now. Everyone ready? This is the moment. I have no idea. I have no idea what God truly wants for your unique life or the blessings he longs to give you through intimate and immortal fellowship with him. God is the one to ask about that if you want to know. 
And what I do know is John 3.17. That tells us, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. God did not send Jesus in his Jesus into the world to condemn us. He sent his son into the world to invite us, which is why Jesus leads out right here in our moment with forgiveness. It's an open invitation to walk with God and talk with God, to think with God and to feel with God. As one pastor put it, Jesus didn't come to change God's mind about us, but our minds about God. And so getting back to our text, up until this point, Jesus had been bountifully showing what he is able to do. Namely, to heal every sickness and disease this world has to offer. Basically, to show he is more powerful than the brokenness of our experiences. Right? As a quick recap of what Mark has told us so far, First is that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah, and this is good news. The Father and the Spirit testify. This is true at Jesus' baptism. Then he defeats Satan's temptations, and he starts healing many, many people of many, many things. And that's all in the first chapter. In this bombshell moment, now we are told why Jesus was doing all the things he was doing. Let's read the next portion of our text for some clues as to this reason why. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this before. So here are the three clues. One, who can forgive sins but God alone? Two, the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And three, we never saw anything like this, nor will we ever again. Boiled down to its essence, the main purpose of Jesus' life, the why he came and did what he did, was to do what we in ourselves and in our sin cannot do, namely to save ourselves and right our relationship with God. In the same way that if we hurt another person, it is up to them whether or not to forgive us, the God we hurt chose to say, yes, yes, I forgive you. So please hear this loud and clear the way the paralytic would have heard it. Sons and daughters, your sins are forgiven. Sons and daughters, your sins 
are forgiven. And our clues tell us that only God can do this, that Jesus is the Messiah who has the authority to do so, and we ain't never seen anything like this. This is the mind-blowing moment where Jesus changes everything about the priority of what we think we need. We need God first and foremost and forever. And he is more than willing to do whatever it takes to lovingly forgive us. And in doing so, Jesus also teaches us about another type of freedom that can't be given by any law. It's a freedom that Martin Luther King Jr. knew and and he lived out of as a follower of Christ. It's the freedom that drove him so hard and ultimately to give his life for America to be a better place for us all. It's a freedom from ourselves. It's a freedom from our own sins. And as complicated as those sins may feel to us, as much as they might flood us or fill our hearts with fear or as scary as they may be, we don't have to worry, not one bit, because of what Jesus tells us in the very next passage. And I'm actually going to invite the band back up as we we bring that, that, that passage here on the screen. And it says in Mark 2, 13 to 14, He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and he followed him. Follow me. The reason we don't have to worry at all is we don't have to do this alone. Jesus will guide us wherever we need to go. He already knows we can't do it ourselves. And that's precisely why he came. And that's precisely why he offers us his spirit to help us. And why he offers us one another to help each other. So the simple encouragement I'm going to give us all, in addition to reading Mark for yourself, is just to repeat these two small phrases every day or as many times a day as you need to. Your sins are forgiven and follow me. Jesus did not come to call the righteous but sinners. He came to call those of us that know we're not living the lives that we supposed and those that hope that God has so much more for us. And when a sinner, like myself, has faith that they are forgiven, it begins a march of freedom into the heart, soul, and spirit. And this march will help you join men like Dr. King in also fighting for the freedom of others. Because this is a freedom that longs to be shared. And in fact, we're about to take communion here together. And communion in Scripture is actually the word koinonia, which means fellowship, 
sharing, and communion. And the definition is quite simply an act or instance of sharing. And that's what we do when we go and we the, take, the, take of the bread and the, and the juice together is we remind ourselves that we've been given this, this wonderful opportunity to share this thing called life with the God who created us. And so as the band sings, feel free to take that time and you can be anywhere along your journey. This might be the first time you heard that invitation. This might be a different way to look at the way you've been walking with the Lord all along. But as we celebrate this moment and as we take this time, just know that it is an open invitation from the Lord of heaven and earth to share life with him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that even as we think about Jesus and, and his outstretched arms, Lord, that you sit and you look at us and you long for us with those same outstretched arms, Lord. And I just thank you for each and every soul, each and every spirit, each and every person that is here with us today. I thank you that we get to share in that amazing invitation and in that amazing glory. And so, Lord, with hearts wide open, with hearts willing to learn, please open our hearts and our lives to all that you want to share with us. Amen.